I want to share with you an incredible insight into the holiday of Sukkot, which gives clarity not only to the customs and the mitzvahs of Sukkot, but also to the meaning of life in general. So, Sukkot is an interesting holiday. In many ways, Sukkot is like a Jewish version of a rain dance, a rain festival. So we know Sukkot falls out in the harvest time, and the Torah refers to it as the Haga Asif, which is a harvest festival. It's a time of gathering in the grain and the produce in Israel, which takes place during the dry season of the summer months, and then begins the rainy season. At the end of Sukkot, on Shemini Eretz, we begin to pray for rain. And the entire festival really has a lot to do with rain and water. There is a uh, the, the four species that we shake are all species that require a lot of water. And the Talmud explains that one of the intentions of shaking these is, is requesting a healthy rain season, good rain. And um, additionally, there's a something that takes place during Sukkot called the Nisich Hamayim, where we draw water and bring it to the temple, and it becomes, it's actually the greatest celebration of the entire calendar, is this pouring of the, the water on the altar in the temple. Again, this is just something very interesting. What's exactly going on here? Now, the Sukkah itself, the Talmud tells us, and uh, there's actually two opinions in the Talmud, the one that we actually take as the main opinion is that the sukkah represents something called the Ananiya covet these clouds of glory the divine clouds that surrounded the jewish people in the desert and uh, you know i'm sitting in the sukkah and and wondering like is this really the symbolism here like if i wanted to make something that symbolized clouds i would maybe use cotton balls how is a sukkah symbolic of these clouds and what's the significance of these clouds why do we have a whole holiday devoted to these clouds and I believe the answer is as follows a few years ago I was looking up at the sky through the sukkah and an incredible uh, insight popped into my head according to Kabbalah there are two modes in which God connects to us one is called Kuchabrihu the Holy One, blessed be He, which is God, which is beyond this world. And the other is known as the Shekhinah, which is the divine presence within the world. There's the God that surrounds all existence, essentially the canvas on which the universe exists. And then there's the God that fills all existence, which is God's presence, which literally gives energy and life force to everything that exists. When we declare God's oneness, the quintessential Jewish Pledge of Allegiance, the Shema, we say, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, essentially a declaration that God is one. And when we do that, we do something interesting, we close our eyes. And the reason for that is because we don't see God's oneness. This is referring to God in his essence, which is complete oneness without parts or pieces. We don't see that. We live in a world of multiplicity, a world of disconnection. 
the Torah begins with the letter base, which means denotes multiplicity, the number two, because the Torah is the be, recounting the creation, and the creation is a world of separation. But preceding, what preceded the Torah, what preceded the Big Bang, so to speak, is the world of unity, and that's God himself before the world. So that's known as, Shema is known as Yichud Ilah, which means the upper unity of God. But then we do something else. As we say a verse, which doesn't appear in the Torah, Baruch Shem Kavod Ma'pasod which according to Kabbalah is known as something called Yichud Tatav, which means the lower unity. And when we say Baruch Shem, we open our eyes, we whisper. And the reason for that is because Baruch Shem refers to the parts and pieces of this world. That within the multifaceted multiplicity of this world, we believe that God is also one. But here we whisper because although we see the parts and the pieces, that unity and oneness has not yet been fully expressed in this world. That is the messianic vision that we hope and pray for, is where God's unity will be completely revealed through the identities of existence, through mankind. That's actually what we pray when we say, on that day, that God and his name will be one. God refers to God. We explain the oneness of God beyond this world. And the name of God refers to the Shekhinah. A name essentially represents your mode of expression, right? We have different names depending on how we're relating or who we're relating to. Sometimes I'm a father. Sometimes I'm a rabbi. Sometimes I'm a son. Those are all different names, different roles that we play. God's name is his expression in this world. Essentially, the prayer that God and his name will be one is that God's company, so to speak, i.e. all of existence, will completely express his vision, his will, his oneness. That's the Messianic era. Another beautiful way to express this idea, these two dynamics, is uh, as follows, that when a person sings, we can sing two different ways. One is we can sing in unity, in unison. That's where we both sing the same notes. Another way we can sing is where we all sing different notes, and that's known as harmony. God before creation is unity. But the goal after creation is that we should reveal God's oneness through the unique facets of reality known as harmony. And harmony is a greater expression of oneness than unity. That's the goal, that the parts should become a complete reflection and even greater than the sum of the parts. We should reveal God completely in this world. So we believe that God's oneness, although the world looks like multiplicity, it really, God continues to be one despite the world, that it's really essentially the world is a reflection of God's white light shown through a prism into the three dimensions of all the colors of the rainbow. We all we think we exist as independent, independent pieces. The reality is we all have one source. And our job is to take the parts and the pieces of this world and put them together in a beautiful mosaic. If you think about it, it's like a puzzle, right? You have a thousand-piece puzzle, the beautiful picture of a mountain and a castle, and 
you put those pieces together and it takes weeks and weeks and finally you put the puzzle together and you take that puzzle and you glue it together and you frame it and put it on the wall. So begs the question, why not just cut out the picture from the box and put that on the wall? Why go through this whole trouble? And the answer is, is obviously because through that process, the beauty is revealed through having taken and put together order in a place of chaos and revealing the unity and the oneness in a place of where you do not see that. That's the true beauty that comes out out of out of the revelation of putting everything together. So that was that was by way of introduction. So if we wanted to take a metaphor in the world for God's oneness above the upper unity. So I believe there are two metaphors that we can come to. Number one, as we just mentioned, is white light. White light is utter simplistic unity. And when shown through the prism, equals the parts and colors of this world. But I think it's a little bit complex. And I think there's an even simpler, more, sort of maybe more primitive or more poetic uh, metaphor. And that is the sky. Do you ever wonder why we say that God is in Shemayim, God is in heaven? We don't believe that. We believe God is everywhere. Why don't we refer to God as somehow being above us? I believe the answer is because the sky is the perfect metaphor to express God's oneness. A clear blue sky. A clear blue sky is the only thing in our world that is completely one. Not made up of any shades or gradations or pieces. It's the only thing that we can look at in our world that's completely one, one consistent fabric. So I believe that the sky represents God's infinite oneness. And I have a proof for that. It says in the Torah that at Mount Sinai, the Jewish people saw a revelation of God. And the Torah says, it appeared to them, that God appeared to them like the perfect purity of the sky. And under his feet appeared sapphire bricks. What's the significance of sapphire bricks? Well, that's this world under God's feet. Sapphire, sapphires are blue. The, this world is a complete reflection of the upper world. It's just made up of lots of little bricks. We have to put those bricks in order in a perfect mosaic. So if the sky represents God's oneness, so what represents God's blessing coming into the world? Well, you guessed it right. That's rain. Rain represents the sky coming down and literally kissing the earth. So if the sky represents God's oneness, so what represents the reflection of God on earth? The perfect malchus, the perfect kingdom, company of God, directly revealing God on earth. So that is the ocean. The ocean, water, is blue because it completely reflects the sky. And yet it's made up of lots of little pieces, just like those sapphire bricks. Lots of little ripples that are jumping and splashing around, and yet complete reflection of the sky above. In fact, the word mayim in Hebrew is plural because it represents Plurality, multiplicity. And again, I have a Talmud to support this idea. Talmud says that tzitzis are supposed to have a blue 
thread on the tzitzis known as the chelis, which comes from an aquatic animal. There's different debates about, about what that animal is, but the tradition has overall been lost to us. But the Talmud says that that blue thread or that turquoise thread reminds us of the ocean. And the ocean reminds us of the sky, and the sky is supposed to remind us of God or God's throne. So the water represents God's kingdom on earth, meaning the expression of God's oneness in the multiplicity of this world. If the sky is God's oneness, the ocean is God's expression in this world, and the rain represents God literally coming down into this world, bringing his blessing into the world, the blessing of the heavens kissing the earth. So what represents the medium with which God brings the blessing to the earth? That is the clouds. Clouds literally represent God descending onto earth. So now I believe we can understand incredibly what Sukkot is all about. These divine clouds, whenever we see clouds, there was clouds at Mount Sinai. There were clouds in the tent of meeting, where in the old world, where God spoke to the Jewish people. The cloud represents, God always appears in a cloud, represents God coming down into this world. And now we can understand an amazing thing, that the word heaven in Hebrew, Shamayim, Rashi tells us in the beginning of the Chumash, literally means Shamayim. There is water. There's water above. Water represents somehow God's unity above. And then there's water below. The Torah tells us that on the second day, God separated between the upper waters and the lower waters, that there's something called waters and they're disconnected. The upper waters being God's unity, the lower waters, which are now crying to reconnect to God, to go back up to God. And the, the Torah tells us these crying waters, which is why the waves cr seek to go up all the way up and crash down. We put salt on the altar of every offering, symbolizing something to do with these waters that were disconnected, which were separated, wanting to go back. I believe the symbolism of the splitting of the sea is that the water became unified, now became one, a complete and perfect reflection of God, which is why the revelation of the splitting of the sea was greater than any other revelation. It has to do with the, the end of days. The Tachia uh, Samesim is referred to, is, uh, is referenced, the revival of the dead is referenced in the Az Yashir of the song that Moshe sang as the Jewish people went through the sea. And, and now we can understand why there's this incredible celebration on Sukkot. The greatest celebration of the whole year is what happens on Sukkot. We pray for rain. We pray for God's blessing to come into this world. We celebrate these clouds and then we take water and we pour it on the altar because this is the totality of the picture. When Adam was created, there was not yet any vegetation on the earth until he prayed. When he prayed, rain came down to water the earth, and then the cycle begins anew. The earth begins to sprout. Prayer represents the same idea as the sacrifice of the carbonus we do in the temple. Prayers in the place of those sacrifices is us, essentially the process of evaporation, us taking the, the bounty of this world and bringing it back up to God. That's the symbolism 
of the altar where we take a physical animal and we burn it up to its elements and goes up in smoke essentially is the symbolic of taking physicality and bringing it back up to spirituality essentially reuniting the process and the bringing of the water on the altar is the greatest metaphor for that we're taking the water which represents god's blessing and bounty coming this world and we're literally putting it back up sending it back up to god and now the process can continue that's the idea of prayer and the greatest revelation of this takes took place on yom kippur in the holy of holies where in the kodesh kedoshim where the kohen gadol went in with a cloud of incense smoke symbolizing out the cloud that we make us generating that cloud from down here the evaporation that we send back up to god in fact the kohen gadol's prayer is very very confusing and perplexing and cryptic but one of the things he says when he goes in there is he says don't listen to the wayfarers the people who are journeying back from jerusalem after sukkis who are going back home don't listen to them because what are they going to say they're going to say god please don't make it rain because we're going to get wet on our way home don't listen to them because we want your rain we want your blessing to come into this world and more importantly than your blessing is we want you we want a relationship with you and that is the clouds the medium that brings the blessing so now if we look at the sukkah it's perfect it's a perfect metaphor the schach what does schach mean so schach means simply a covering in hebrew a mesich is a crown masicha is a mesich is a screen a masicha is a mask it's something that blocks or covers but schach also the commentaries point out comes from the hebrew word socha which means to gaze deeply to see sarah's name was yiska jessica because she saw with deep incredible intense spiritual prophetic gaze so how could it be a covering and yet something that enables you to see so one idea is exactly this when you uh, the schach blocks the sky you look to the schach it's supposed to cover the sky it's supposed to block out most of the sunlight and yet you're supposed to see the stars through it it's supposed to allow rain to come through you look through the schach it covers the sky and yet it enables you to see the sky the schach actually represents and the clouds represent the idea that god for god to reveal himself to us for us to have a relationship with god he has to be covered because a person cannot look at god and exist within god's presence if we were to truly see god in his oneness we would cease to exist because in oneness there are no parts we cannot exist there and so god reveals himself to us in a cloud in a covering which hides himself and yet enables us to have relationship it's through that disconnection that allows the connection just like a mother with a baby a pregnant mother doesn't have a relationship with that baby she's one with the baby but only when the baby's born into this world naked cold alone separate can the baby now come back as a separate entity and connect in a true intimate connection with the mother true relationship can only exist with separation that's the idea of the cloud so we when we look up at the sky it hides the sky it blocks the sky and yet it enables us to see the sky without getting blinded it's the exact same idea when you look at the clouds we think the clouds are blocking that beautiful clear blue sky 
The truth is they're really bringing blessing into our life, the blessing of rain. So the Talmud, just to conclude, the Talmud says that in Gehenim La'asid Lavo, there's no hell in the next world. Ella Kodesh Baruch Hashem reveal, removes the sun from its sheath. This is a Gemara in Avodah Zarah. Hashem removes the sun from its sheath and shines down. Righteous people are healed by that light and wicked people are burned. The sukkah represents God's, the, the, our ability to connect to God without getting burned. It represents the mitzvahs that we do that build our spiritual connection to God. And I believe that's the, uh, that's the symbolism of sukkahs, at least one of the messages of sukkahs, the symbolism of rain. Uh, the Talmud says there's no greater day than the day of rain. It's greater than the day the Torah was given, greater than the day when the dead will be revived. It's really all the same idea. It's the same greatness because it's the symbolic. The rain is symbolic of God coming to the world just like takes place, took place at the giving of the Torah, just like takes place at Chiesamesim when this entire world will be a perfect reflection of God's unity and oneness.